people come in and ask, you know, they refer to the, the mead maker as a man and, uh, you know, I don't correct them. I let them think it's a man if that's what they want. And just cause it's fun. <laughs> I'm fine being a counter girl. It takes a lot of responsibility off me to be honest with you. Hey, my name is Stephanie Krieger. Um, I own Nani Moon Meadery here on Kauai. I'm the Cycling Certified Cicerone, and in this podcast, we talk to beer people about starting breweries, brewing beer, and making it all run. This week, I'm in Kauai, Hawaii, talking to Nani Moon Meadery. Mead's not the same as beer, of course, but this turned out to be a very eye-opening interview. We talk with Stephanie about what it took to start Nani Moon Meadery and are personally guided through a tasting flight of her meads. After that, we chat a little bit more about what it takes to actually make the meadery run. I'm your host, Andrew Bieber, joined today by Stephanie Krieger and co-host, The Misserone. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. Tell us the story from beginning to end. You know, when when was the idea conceived? What happened here? Where are we like? Tell us well, there's so there's tale. so much going on to it. But basically, you know, with my I came here when I was 20 years old with an education in marine science, biology, and chemistry. But I throughout my education, I was really focused on sustainable land use because it's what we do on land that affects the ocean. So that was something that like not a lot of people were talking about back then. But at the same time, it's something that was like really important to me. So when I moved here, I just, you know, looked into like, how do we really maximize our resource potential here? And how do we make money off of the resources? So they're not going to just build condos over some of our, 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 our food forests and our agricultural land. So mead was just kind of part of that process. I had never drank mead before. I remember hiking in the forests up in Kokei, which is up in Waimea Canyon. And I heard the bees pollinating the native Ohia Lehua trees. I was like, okay, well, that gives the native forest economic value by existing if the bees are there mm. collecting honey. And then I was like, okay. And then I just remembered a friend of mine who made mead in high school. And so I, I was like, oh, you can make alcohol from honey. It's called mead. And that's kind of where it all started. So I, I started doing this in my garage. I had no... Um, uh, preconceptions of what mead was supposed to taste like because uh, I had never drank it before. And I was more into the food and wine world at that point. I was working at some really nice restaurants here on Kauai, like Gaylords of Kilohana, Roy's, and they were um, very extensive in their wine education programs. So at that point, I was really focused on like the, the wine side of things. So I was crafting these to be really food-friendly, palatable, and have profiles that would work with uh, island lifestyle and cuisine. And so that's kind of where it all started. So that was you know, about uh, 18 years ago. And I opened Nani Moon Meadery in 2009. So yeah, you're coming up on 10 years now. Yes, we're in our 10th year. You were talking about trying to make, to craft these meads sort of fit the island lifestyle and the island palates. Does that mean you're making mead that's, you know, goes well with fish and yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So what's what's on the main menu? We have six varieties. Each one is distinctly different than the other. And as you, you know, as you get more into the world of mead, um, you know, you're going to find that there's meaderies that are really diverse, and then there's meaderies that um, are, you know, are going to taste. They're all going to kind of taste the same. So what we try to do with our menu, because it is limited to six, is have each one distinctly different than the next. So there are going to be ones that are good with fish. There's going to be ones that are good with short ribs. There's going to be ones that are good for bonfires. So, nice. you know, it just, they're all, they're, they're different from one another. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, I'm seeing you got like, you've got a, the range of sweetnesses, which helps you cover the, co sort of cover all the bases. I imagine you're working with just the one type of honey, you know, the local, the stuff that comes from here. Do you have any control over the, the way the honey comes out? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. So when you say one type of honey, mm -hmm. that's, um, that kind of limits the, um, the, the flavor profile that exists in our Kauai honey. So we have two hive locations here, and they're called apiaries, a, a conglomerate of hives is called an apiary. So we have two apiaries here on the island, one on the east side um, and one on the south side. So um, you could harvest from both apiaries at, on the same month, and their honeys are gonna taste different. You can order, you can uh, harvest from one apiary in January and you can harvest in June and those honeys are going to taste slightly different. So, you know, our meads become like vintages. So the seasonality of the fruits, whether it's a wet season or a dry season, um, the seasonalities of the honey, basically whatever those bees are pollinating, um, really reflect um, some of the nuances in the, the, the different batches that we make. Yeah, in the wine and beer world, you know, they always talk about the sort of terroir, which I guess right. honey has the same yes, exact it thing. Yes, it definitely does. And it makes so much more sense to imagine sort of the terroir of honey because you can link it straight to the flowers that are available and exactly what the bees are eating and turning into honey. You don't have you don't have this sort of abstract idea of oh this little grape is going to taste different because the dirt here is different right like that exactly doesn't seem as intuitive as these mm -hmm. flower this tastes like a flower because of this type of flower, exactly right yeah yeah so you don't like that I said one type of honey because really you do have lots and lots of types of honey yes. and every sort of month every month and every side of the island changes do you know what kind of what specific flowers maybe some of these bees are munching on? Well, the east side hives um, have more, um, there's palm, citrus, avocado, mango. So there's, uh, there's a lot, they're surrounded by fruit trees. Um, the south side hives, there's a wild guava, coffee blossom, macadamia nut. The south side honey tends to have a little bit more of a savory characteristic to it, where the east side honey has like more of like that tropical fruit forward. When you're you're talking about the vintages and how they change just from month to month, do you do anything to try to control it? Do you do blending? Do you save honey from previous years to try to bring into future batches? No. Mm. We okay. use everything that comes in. Yeah. Fast. And, uh, <laughs> I, so it's a pretty, we're on a pretty small island. Mm -hmm. How much of the total honey produced here would you say you guys use? Well, we have our own hives, so we're okay. not, we're not really sourcing from other beekeepers. Oh, okay. So we have about 40 hives total, which supplies about 75% of our production right now. Um, we do source pure varietal honeys from the big island. So the Lehua, Ohia Lehua blossom honey, which I was talking about in the beginning, that honey actually comes from the big island. Our macadamia nut blossom honey that we use in one of our varieties also comes from the Big Island. Okay. And that's because the Big Island has acres and acres and acres of these crops. So in order for honey to be considered a pure varietal, it has to be a three mile radius uh, surrounding the hive of predominantly one crop. And mm. we don't have that here on the island. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no way. There's not enough space to mm -hmm. make, a, make a farm that big. Yeah. Basically, the reason meat is really especially fun to make here mm -hmm. versus wine or beer mm -hmm. is that you don't have to cart in the you don't have to cart in honey other than just from the Big Island. Yeah, you only do for only thirty percent of your right. honey, and that and that counts. You know, that's local right. totally, as opposed to bringing barley all the way, or bringing hops and barley all the way over from Washington. Um, there's just no way to. Uh, yeah, this is or the even, most local product you can even imagine. Mm -hmm. Or even cider, right? We were told uh, yesterday from. Kauai Beer Company that even even though they have this new license where they'll be making cider, 
because you need an apple base, you'll have to get the apples from elsewhere. Even mm-hmm. though, even if you intend to make papaya and pineapple cider and really, right, really cool tropical flavors from Kauai, you're in, you're still going to end up bringing in right. apples from yeah. The so it's it's that's I mean it's one of the reasons I've never made beer or wine or cider is because they don't grow locally. But basically, the premise of this business is if those barges don't come in, we can still do what we do. That's really cool. There's something kind of special about honey too is because it, it mm-hmm. is just so much more um like not to say simple but you can conceive of the entire process mm-hmm. right bees go out they make it they turn it into, they make they turn nectar into honey and they get that from flowers and mm-hmm. sorry and uh they um and and it all just sort of yeah it comes from the earth and can kind of be you know you're shepherding these bees and there's something kind of magical about that and the fact that you can sort of have the entire process sort of you know under your control, but sort of not, um, I don't know. I'm kind of obsessed with it. It's the earth working for you. It is. And the bees working for you too. The bees do a lot of the work. And, um, I mean, honey in itself as an ingredient is just has so many health benefits. And again, when you start looking into the world of mead, there's each mead maker is going to have different methodologies. And that's just something important to understand as you, you know, you go, you, you dive into that realm, just like, you know, uh, brewers have different methodologies. So one of the things that we do that we're really strict on is keeping our honey raw from start to finish. So in the final product, you have all of those live enzymes and those probiotics that exist in the raw honey in the final product. So it becomes like a buzz. It's like different than the buzz you get from other alcohol. I need to drink more mead so I can experience that, I think. Yes. Um, So tell us about the process of actually making mead. Uh, So we sort of understood, we have a a, a vague idea of the honey process and listeners of this podcast are familiar with the brewing process Mm -hmm. in general, how you know how beer is made. Um, Is there any nuance or specific way, something that I I, I know honestly how to ferment, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily how to make mead. Um, what's the process look like? Well, I mean, it's 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 a pretty easy for I mean for me it's a pretty easy process, but um, it you know requires the honey. We use a uh, we have a commercial grade water filter that filters our kawaii water. Whatever fruit that we get in, uh, we get in day of harvest. So we work with the different seasons of the fruits. We coordinate with the farmers. Basically, when the sun rises, that the fruits on the tree. By 10 or 11, it gets delivered down here. We do about three to 500 pound juices when we're doing our juicing. By the end of the day, it's juiced and gets incorporated into the tank. So one of the things that's um, really special about our meads is that they're fruit fermented rather than fruit flavored, meaning the fruit goes in the very beginning of fermentation. Just like grapes turn into wine and it doesn't taste like grape juice after, we're not after something that's gonna just taste like the juice of the fruit. We're, we're, we're combining these fruits with the honey to create a certain profile that again is gonna um, become super unique. Outside of the fruit and the honey and the water, um, for the few that we have that have spices in it, um, those spices get incorporated partway through the fermentation, basically because um, once the mead turns into alcohol, it is able to you know, pick up those essential oils of the spices a little bit easier. And um, we use um, black tea as a natural source of tannic acid. We don't use any other chemical additives or clarifying agents or uh, powdered citric acid or tannic acid. So they're really, really pure. And when you talk about brewing, a lot of those things are like, you know, closed door topics. Like we're not going to tell you how much diammonium phosphate we put in our beer or our wine, or we're not going to tell you how much sulfite, the percentage. I mean, it exists, but it doesn't. But we don't use any of those chemical additives. You mentioned adding black tea for tannic acid. Mm-hmm. What's the benefit of that? I imagine it's, a, it's got some preserving qualities probably. Um, no, it's more because when you think about wines and you think about grapes and why grapes have such 
a clout in the wine world and you're not dealing with more fruit wines is because the tannic acid in grapes. It's the tannins in the grapes that add that extra layer on the palate so you're not just tasting fruit. And so when you're thinking about meads, if you taste like, for example, a blueberry mead that's made with honey and blueberries, it's going to be one-dimensional. It's going to taste like blueberries and honey. So if you taste a mead that has, you know, that extra tannic component, it again becomes a full palate experience. And is that included in all all of these meads Mm -hmm. we're going to be tasting? Yes. Okay. Now the process suddenly got more complicated. I had never considered that there'd be, um, that there was a necessity for that sort of tannic uh, that tannic acid. Well, profile. there's not a necessity, yeah. but, but it's 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 our it's our methodology. So, how long does it take to make a batch from honey to fermented? Um, it's about three to five months from pitch to bottle. Wow. Okay. So a lot of that is how much of that time is spent in a fermenter? How much of that time is spent in the bottle? Oh, as soon as it's bottled, it's ready for sale. Okay. So it really spends. So you got some tanks back there yeah. that are fermenting away, they're all full. and they're all yeah. Those uh, those are all full of near enough completed meat. Uh, or the, what? the ones uh, towards the back wall are um, are on the finishing process. Uh, the ones against this wall here are the primary fermenters. They're temperature controlled tanks. Okay. So are they? So they're spending. So this meat is spending three to five months in these tanks here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so by the time it makes it through the back of the uh, the finishing tank. Where I guess you're sort of letting it, you know, cool, settle out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a process of settling out. Mm-hmm. They go through two filtration, so they basically jump tanks as they get filtered, end up in the stainless steel bottling tank. Mm-hmm. By the time it hits the stainless steel bottling tank, it's ready to go. Three to five months seems like a long time. It's like, more of a winemaking process. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, because beer, you can have a turnaround in two weeks. You mm-hmm. know, from fermentation, from the start of fermentation to bottling, mm-hmm. or less even if you wanted to. Lagering, the longer ones take a month or two months mm-hmm. tops and then you have barrel aged stuff that you know that you can age that as long as you want to mm-hmm. the idea of even going for three to five months is enough to like scare a brewer for sure what what maybe are the differences in, in taste between a two week a two week bottle a two week the two week fermenter and the five month fermenter oh i mean months. it's still fermenting in two weeks i mean yeah. you wouldn't want to taste that i would yeasty and yeah. not finished and hmm. yeah just it's just starting in two weeks hmm yeah, I mean, maybe in six weeks you might get something that has a little bit of palate. It's still going to taste a lot of yeast. Mm. It's like wine. It's more of a wine making process yeah. than a beer making process. Even though the even though mead. So again, like when I started making mead, I was more in that wine world. But it, a few years into it, you know, it really was evident that mead was fit more into the craft beverage world of the ciders and the craft beers. Um, not as much so the wine world, even though it can be enjoyed by both sides. It's it's interesting that mead has become in that world and I think a lot of the brewers um, who are veering towards making mead, they do get intimidated by that length of process and they might have a tendency to want to boil everything. So they're going to want to boil their honey which will just kill their honey and kill all those live natural properties and they might want to boost it with more nutrients to speed up that fermentation. So I mean those are all personal preferences of the brewer or mead maker the end of the day, you know, when you look at like traditional mead recipes, it, it would take years to create a traditional mead from start to bottle. Um, so ours go a little bit faster just because our fruits act as a natural nutrient source. So it, it is a little bit faster. And then our temperature here, even though the primary tanks are temperature controlled, once they hit that first rack, um, it's ambient temperature. So those meads really are finishing at like, you know, an average of 70 to 80 degrees. What are the temperature controlled fermenters at? 
Uh, they start at the low 70s. You, uh, for some of the nerdier listeners, what are some of the enzymes and some of the active things, the living things in that uh, in that honey when it comes out? You know, you'd really have to ask a beekeeper that. So there's a, it's a lot and it's complex. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Honey's a really complex animal. So we have, a, you know, our beekeeper has been with us since the beginning of the business. I've known him for 17 years. Um, so he's he's a great guy, but he's he would be the guy to ask. Uh, you mentioned earlier when you, when you basically conceived of the idea of having a, a meter here, you really didn't have a lot of background. Your background was in wine and, and uh, you said hospitality and wine. Food, that, food yeah, and that wine. was by trade. Plus yeah. Yeah. biology, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. That too. And chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. And chemistry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've noticed, this is funny though, this goes with our theme of yesterday, is that there's a lot of people from the STEM world who end up in the food and beverage mm-hmm. world because it really is a science. Yeah. Especially, like, especially I would say brewing and it sounds like mead too, yeah. is that there's a lot of science to how, what you're adding and what you need to be able to do. Right, like even, formulas. Yeah. It's lab work. You could almost call the recipes formulas instead. Yeah, <laughs> so well, they are formulas. Yeah. That's, That's really what, the what they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned you didn't have any background in mead, though, really. Like, not really, like, a mead knowledge. Uh, how did you start the, your sort of education of it? I'm totally self-taught. So you just started picking up books and thinking, okay, no, let's No, I didn't read any that. books. I went online and I um, got the basic ingredients, I mean, the, the basic equipment, which is a carboy, mm-hmm. a siphon hose, airlock. Outside of that, there was very little um, online because, again, it was like 18 years ago. There wasn't a lot going on with me. There were mm-hmm. some books, but I didn't read them. Mm-hmm. So I just started crafting based on what was around me. Wow. So you, yeah, when you say self-taught, you mean really, really self-taught. No, I'm just totally in, self-taught. In the garage tinkering, smacking yeah. a wrench tinkering on stuff until it works. lots of notes. Yeah. Okay. Notes are really important. People yeah. Kind of, I mean, again, that's my, my, you know, my lab background is, you know, having a book and taking mm-hmm. lots of notes. But, you know, then we'd all taste, like, is this acidic? Does it need another component? You know, how is this balanced? How is this, you know, so... Again, because it takes so long, I mean, in order to get for one of our meats to get onto this front menu, we're, we're, we're playing around with the formula for two to three years before it ever gets on the front menu. It's mm-hmm. nothing that happens fast. You've mentioned now the front menu. Does that mean you have a secret menu or like a bunch of bottles that you're experimenting with that are little... Uh... Well, we do have a few reserves on the menu. We always try to keep a few reserves on the menu, and those, those bottles are typically aged in the bottle for three to five years. And every quarter, we release small batch seasonals, which um, are sold exclusively. We have a quarterly mead club. So those members are exclusive purchasers of those bottles. Mm. Um, and if we have leftovers, we put them on the menu for tasting. But every quarter, we're doing at least two of those. Okay. You, um, so, so far, I've only met you. Mm-hmm. Who else is involved? You mentioned the team earlier. Yeah, we have a small little team. We have a few girls who work in the tasting room here. Um, and then a small little team for bottling and juicing. I mean, juicing really is a seasonal um, uh, situation. And so everything, you know, in the back is, is on call, really, because our, you know, again, it takes a while for the mead. The mead makes itself once it's in the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have our beekeeper, a little girl who does um, newsletters and some of the PR our graphic uh, designer and label uh, label designer Shastin Grace has been with us from the very beginning as well. So she does all of the all of the graphics, all of the label images, all of that stuff. Uh, you mentioned your graphic designer, and I'm looking at your logo, Nani Moon. We've got the B, which is pretty standard. I feel for mm-hmm. meadery. Uh, where, what, what does the name Nani Moon mean? Where does that come from? 
what were you guys thinking branding wise when you're getting this all started? Um, we weren't really thinking about branding. Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that neither, not, none of us that coming into it had when we started doing this is marketing experience. So the marketing really is something that we've, we've just grown into. Um, uh, but, uh, Nani means beautiful in Hawaiian. So it's a feminine word. It means beautiful, extravagant. So, and then the moon has so much, um, weight in uh, mead lore and history. History. So one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that the legend of the honeymoon comes from a couple drinking mead, which is honey wine, for one moon month after their nuptials. Oh. So that is actually where that word originates. So the moon has just played it's for all these centuries of mead making, and mead goes back over 10,000 years in histories and cultures all over the planet. Um, the moon has played a role in that for so long. It's funny. I never thought about that, the honeymoon i just always like oh well my mom and dad call each other honey so this just makes sense i guess <laughs> you know i never thought about it that's so funny but I, I, the first time i ever had mead was at bunratty village in ireland at a like reenactment medieval dinner my mm -hmm. dad and i went to and they they sell bunratty mead all over ireland and it's nothing like, mm -hmm. like it's just dry really like dry white wine is what mm -hmm. tastes like mm. it's not um complex as far mm -hmm. as meads go and I remember thinking, this is horrible stuff. <laughs> I was probably afraid of mead for the next 10 years of my yeah. life till we went to Oregon and been, have now been to a couple good mead, like really great meaderies. But they told that whole myth before they made us do the toast. I thought mm -hmm. it was the cutest thing. Suddenly it made this kind of silly seemed westernized tradition on going on a honeymoon seemed a little more special totally and and i think you know what you say about trying a mead and not liking it and being turned off by it it happens to a lot of people we have people who come in oh i've tried mead once i don't like it and it's you know if you try a beer once or a wine once and you don't like it you know there's a world of beer and wine out there so it's the same thing with meads you might have one bad experience with a mead that doesn't mean you're not going to like like meads if you keep on looking for something that fits your palate. Since you started out doing this in your garage, how did you decide what you needed on the large scale? Um, I apprenticed at a meadery in California for a week. I paid him very good money to work with him for a week. And a lot of, a lot of my setup came from working with that person. Cool. So yeah. Well, we can start. You guys want to do a tasting now? Sure. Let's okay. Do it. All right. Sure. Is there any other questions you want to ask me before we do that? Um, yeah, I was wondering about the horn. So I know the mead horn is like this icon that's associated with mead, but I don't know why. Is that because of the Viking sort of? Yeah, connection? it's an ancient drinking vessel. I mean, mead predates glassware. Yeah. So that's how they drank their mead back in the day. Hmm. Yeah. That just seems like so. I mean, it, it makes sense. But why don't yeah. you hear about as much uh, wine and beer getting drank in the Because wine and beer didn't come into existence until like modern agriculture, until societies were able to like cultivate their own um, grains and grapes. But mead was something that could be created in nature. So all it took was a wild beehive, rainwater, and wild yeast. It didn't take any help from man. So when man started really kind of going into the world of mead, all it took, any culture that had bees could make mead with rainwater and wild yeast. It didn't take the cultivation of grains or grapes. So again, you know, mead predates beer and wine by thousands of years. So it's why you see the, the Vikings drinking mead out of a horn or you see that, that, that traditional vessel is because, it, I mean, 
any, if maybe there was cultures with ceramics, but outside of that, that was a way that they just drank it. Hmm. So cool. That is really cool. Yeah. All right, yeah, let's drink some mead. Okay, cool, awesome. Um, you already tasted the Laka's nectar, and so um, you know we just start with the fruit forwards and work our way down. The Laka's is that that semi-sweet, off-dry. The fruit in it is called mountain apple, which is a local Polynesian fruit uh, that grows locally. So I really love the balance of this, just enough honey sweetness combined with the floral of the fruit to um, make it just super pleasant and unique. It was very refreshing. It's like mm -hmm. I can imagine sitting on a beach and drinking that. <laughs> so good. So this one's going to be what I like for the beach. It's a pineapple lime. It's a kawaii honey, Tahitian lime, and organic white sugar loaf pineapple. So this is going to be way drier and more fruit forward. And it's going to be really nice with your um, your fish preparations. So when you ask what pairs well with fish, you do like a little ceviche or pokey. If you're still in cooler months, a little meat and cheese board goes nice with this one. But I love this one for beaching and brunching, just super dry and fun. So are there special rules for how you're supposed to taste meat? No. No? Good. No. There are Great. no rules. You can put it on ice if you want. You can drink it out of a mason jar. You can drink it out of a rocks glass. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the, the the nice faceted goblets, yeah, these are which I always great. enjoy. So these are the Tahitian limes. This has been on the counter for a few days. We just did a whole juicing, oh, wow. but you see how 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 thin the skin is. Yeah, and they're super juicy. And these are actually grow on the same property where our east side hives are located. Okay. So the bees pollinate the lime trees. Mm, kind of comes true. full circle. Double, yes. Yeah. Uh, we were in Pono Market the other day, and they were handing out free Filipino limes. Oh my goodness. And we grabbed some because they we were like, okay, whatever, these are cute. They're like, take them. Mm -hmm. They're so good. They're so cute and a little orange and just really sour like a lime, but then yeah. the sweet skin kind of, yeah. so cute. Yeah. Like the lime, you can really, really taste. There is so much, it's like really, like you said, fruit forward, absolutely mm -hmm. there, really strong. Almost, like yeah, almost sour. Mm -hmm. It brings you straight to it. What did you say the pineapple was? You mentioned like a like sugarloaf pineapple? Yeah, it's an organic uh, white sugarloaf. So the sugarloaf pineapples are lower acid. And so it just cre creates less acid and more sweet. So the, the, the sweeter of the pineapple balanced with the acid of the lime is really what gives it that fun balance. Mm -hmm. All right, you guys. Winter sun is up next. This one is honey, starfruit, and passion fruit. So where the pineapple lime is going to be good with your lighter foods and your fish preparations, the winter sun moves into heavier food pairings. So you could do like a barbecue and grill. If you want to do a fish, you could do like a salmon. And what's fun about this one is that we age it just a little bit longer in the tank, only a few extra months, and it gives it a natural caramelized bourbon undertone. So again, it's going to be tropical and fruit forward, but tastes so different than the first two that you just tried. Yeah, what is that flavor? It's really good, but mm -hmm. I... Tasted the fruit and then immediately was like, but then there's the wintery taste. Mm -hmm. when, when I say this, you're going to be incepted with this thought, but oh, no. the food that would go perfectly with this is Spam Vesuvi. <laughs> wow, okay. Right. Well, it's it's so local salty. foods, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's salty and like heavy. You can almost yeah. taste like nori. the nori. That's yeah. my favorite <laughs> flavor. Yeah. We have been uh, tasting all the musubi we can. It's such yes. a silly food, but it's so good. What, mm -hmm. what they call it the other day, Hawaiian power bar. Hawaiian power oh, bar. It's hilarious. Like, great. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. We're just like, we're, we're going to the local market, picking up some, we go to the food land they have a deli that has some. We're like, okay, well, let's try it all. Like just 7-Eleven. 
The winter sun is really fun because you can serve it chilled or room temperature too. Mm. So that's that we're getting into that balance here where you know, it's very food friendly with your heavier foods. Again, like you said, spam, but even other local <laughs> favorites like teriyaki and pulled pork. Yeah. And because it has that versatility where it's a hot day out, you can drink it chilled. If it's a cooler evening, you can drink it like a light red. And it's just that just makes it really fun and versatile. So the first one was sparkling. Do you add carb to that? or is No, it it's all natural. And um, we don't force carbonation and we don't prevent it. So the semi-sweets, because we don't use anything to kill that fermentation, tend to have a natural sparkle in the bottle. I, honestly, the lock is nectar just last week is the first time I saw bottle, bo bubbles from this bottling. Oh. And... Um, it was great that way. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so good. Um, so that's, you know, I'm just telling people right now, I'm like, it's not, it's not that it's not going to happen. It's just like, if you buy this bottle today, it might not be bubbly <laughs> the way this yeah. was. Yeah. Would you suggest that people who are buying bottles today hold on to them for a if while? If they want. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have a, most of our sales are people from the mainland who bring them back. And so, yeah, like we're always encouraged people to drink them here while they're on the island. But when they want to bring something home. Everything you see on the menu has been made and bottled in the, in the past year. So there's potential to age if you want to age. Okay, now we're going to move into some more complex profiles. Ginger spice is honey, star fruit, organic raw ginger, and organic spices. It smells like Christmas. So if you guys had a chance to visit any of the farmer's markets, the ginger right now is super fresh. It doesn't even have any skin on it. So it's white and plump and juicy. We juice that ginger, and so it's raw ginger basically going into the beginning of fermentation. And uh, this one is so good with like, your short rib and rack of lamb all year round. Again, all your holidays and your wintry feels. Do you sort of ever have like conflict, like yeast conflicts, you know, the the natural stuff that's on the ginger versus maybe the natural stuff that's no, on the No, I don't think anything lives on ginger. You're not going to get natural yeast out of that ginger. You don't think? No, not. I. <laughs> it's hot. The ginger I, is like an antiseptic. I hmm. mean, it really is. Like I, but again... I mean, it's it, if there is any type of yeast conflict, it's very, very minimal. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it that way. Because even with the pineapples, like when we, we, we clean the pineapples really, really good before we cut them and juice them, like mm -hmm. we clean the outside. Um, so there's, there's that. But honestly, I, you know, our, we use two different strains of white wine yeasts here that are GMO free, cultivated in a wine lab in California. They're very high end. Um, once we incorporate that yeast everything goes nothing else is going to compete and i don't know i mean maybe you do have a little bit of yeast from the the ginger and then for the pineapple which give them those distinct characteristics possibly all i was going to say to that is mm. i wish we could take home some of this bright white ginger i know mm. that's all yeah that's probably not allowed i know we could bring well, probably you can bring home some ginger spice that's true <laughs> oh gosh, so no yeah i don't know if you're allowed to bring home the ginger i know there's, well, but we don't grow it in Washington, so it's not a conflict. When you enter it's Washington, just, it's just it's just taking live plant material out of Hawaii oh, is what's is not allowed. Issue? Yeah, interesting. But if it's cut from the farmers market, it's still. Hmm, what it's are they weird. worried about? Like ask ask them. Okay. <laughs> so cacao moon is um, semi sweet. It's made with macadamia nut blossom honey and then chocolate and vanilla, which are grown up on the North Shore. So again, when you really think about what mead might taste like in your mind before you ever taste it, this is kind of going into where what you might expect. So you get more honey forward. Um, this particular batch I'm loving because um, it's 
Just Ooh. sweet enough where you can taste the honey, but not too sweet where it overwhelms the chocolate and vanilla tones. Um, it's really good. Vanilla yeah, beans here on the island are hand pollinated and hand cured. And then the chocolate, uh, we get raw fermented from the grower. We do our own roast and grind. So all of these ingredients are super specialty. You Tell do. us the nickname here. <laughs> I didn't name it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's so funny. Which? It goes down super smooth. Oh, the it's nicknamed the panty oh, dropper. Oh, no. <laughs> the panty dropper. That's so funny. By the locals. Which one? The locals came up with that name, not so not you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had to say the local, so takes it takes it off of me. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that the vanilla is hand pollinated and hand cured. What's mm -hmm. the process behind that? Do you know uh, of the pollination? Uh, yeah, of the yeah. I mean, I've never actually witnessed it, you know, but it is something that like it's like you know, olives have to go through their own process. Chocolate has to go through its own fermentation. Mm -hmm. And have you did you learn that at all while you were here on your trip? How chocolate, the the chocolate seeds have to do their own fermentation process. We did a chocolate yeah. tour once, but yeah. not here. Yeah, we, right. We okay, so yeah, tour. so you know that like part. So it's the yeah. same thing with the vanilla beans. Like the vanilla beans that have to, like when they're on the orchid, first of all, the orchid just doesn't have any natural pollinator here. So they have to, the guy who grows it goes in there with a uh, paintbrush to pollinate each one. Wow. Then once the orchid comes out, once the bean comes out of the orchid, I mean, it just looks like a, a green bean. That's where that curing process comes in. I don't know. Mm. That's his own craft. Yeah. It's another question you have to ask, say for the vanilla grower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the chocolate is like just kind of barely there. Oh, meshes with the vanilla. Like, so, like, what's that? Why can't I think of exactly the cake I'm eating? <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Sounds it so totally good. is like a cake. That's what so it reminds me of. It's so good. I'm surprised because I usually like fruit forward things mm -hmm. more than this, like, more than like a. A Vanilla, sweeter cocoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was so amazing. Yeah. I mean, again, it all falls down into the purity of ingredients. So it's not a chocolate syrup that we're using. Yeah. We're using real chocolate. We do our own grind. So again, that allows us to get that flavor out with all, without all the heavy oils. Last but not least is a deviant behavior. This one is kawaii honey, Hawaiian chili pepper, and pineapple. So it's sweet and spicy. This particular batch is batch five. It's already developed its uh, signature sparkle. The Hawaiian chili pepper is one of the hottest peppers out there. So it's in the Tabasco cool. bird's eye chili family. Hmm. Oh my gosh, that's really cool. <laughs> so a little goes a long way in creating that profile. Oh, wow. Gosh, so that good. gets you. It's like, yeah. When it hits your tongue, you think, oh yeah, this is just and like sparkling. The and then it, yep. Gosh, it's really good though. It kind of tastes like when you have, eat pineapple that has chili pepper on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'll be cutting a cutting a pineapple, pineapple, the same thing I'm cutting a serrano with, and then mm -hmm. next thing you know, your spicy pineapple. Oh man! Yeah, and this one's fun because it's an approachable heat. It's not too hot. Yeah. You know, it's just enough yeah. to like kind of like tickle your tickle yeah, your just thumb. to surprise you. You weren't kidding when you said you had a bunch of very different meats. They mm -hmm. are they run the full spectrum, and it's crazy mm -hmm. how. Uh, how effectively I couldn't think of another niche mm -hmm. uh, of flavor profile that you could you could hit and uh, there's there's one coming out oh yeah yeah what do you can you talk about that no no, no. <laughs> we'll see when we'll be ready 
Who knows? Okay. <laughs> I mean, ideally by the end of the year, but who that? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I'm just I like before you came in, I was trying to figure out, look at uh, on the um, the calendar and try to get this next series of filtrations going and ordering the next set of bottles and yada yeah. yada yada and. You know, I was gonna okay. fil- I was gonna do a filtration this morning, but it never happened. I could hardly get here in time to yeah. meet up with you guys. So, yeah, <laughs> that's Kauai for you. Yeah, you've got a little taste of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> we heard the word. Um, somebody was telling us the word for Bombay. Mm-hmm. Just do it at your own time. Yeah, whenever it right? happens. Whenever it happens. Yeah. No, like I, I think that this next round of filtrations is going to happen in the next few weeks because then we have to get our meat club orders ready because mm. those go out over the season, you know, during the seasons and we're entering spring in a few weeks. So, um, did you already tell us about the meat club? Well, uh, uh, briefly, yeah. So the Meat Club is a quarterly shipment where um, members get uh, our small batch seasonals and also what's fresh from the tank. So it's another reason why I need to sort of do our filtrations right now because a lot of time we're bottling exclusively for the Meat Club members, uh, bottles that are still in the tank for, you know, and not being released to the public for like another four to six months. So um, it's it's really fun because it just gives you a chance to taste new uh, selections and... Uh, get what gets what fresh from the tank so you can stash them or drink them. So, yeah. And um, is that available to people on the mainland too? Or yeah. for upper, I'm assuming a little bit higher cost for shipping. Um, the shipping is the same actually. Oh, wow. um, well, like if you look at, so, you know, for those listening and for you guys looking at the menu, um, our shipping rates are mainland flat rates. So basically whether we're shipping to Washington DC or Washington state, it's going to be the same to ship uh, for you guys. Um, The Mead Club members get a deeper discount um, than uh, any of our other shipping um, quantities. And um, so they, it's actually like, they actually benefit more. You know, if if you're Mm -hmm. a regular Mead drinker, getting six bottles every three months is you get better discounts. Yeah. So, you know, our bottle prices range from 28 to $32 on the main menu. The small batch seasonals can go from like 40 to 45 a bottle, and those are 750 ml bottles. So they're uh, like a, a wine bottle. I'm, I really like this because I feel like you can, by just drinking the meat from here, you sort of get the, the full spectrum of meat. You get mm-hmm. all the different types of flavors. Somebody who buys the Mead Club gets the bottle, you know, gets the first bottle out of the tank. Mm-hmm. They could come back and buy that bottle again six months later. And we were just talking about how six months can make the difference between a sparkling bottle and a not. Yes. But yeah. And you can, there's, there are lots of nuances and lots of subtleties to the way every bottle is. And just sort of, if you drank every meat that came out of here, mm-hmm. you could start to learn, start to gain a, a, a pretty good grasp of, of what the mead world is. The, oh, yes. The, the domain of mead flavors, mm-hmm. I think. Because um, you mentioned, you know, you don't, you don't do any of the crazy chemicals, none of the other, no shenanigans, all raw, which, as far as I'm concerned, is like the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really cool, really interesting. I wouldn't even need to bother with another meadery, you know, based on what I've heard about this place. So it's a... Uh, Really, really cool. Thank you. There's a lot of people who feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I can say this because our last favorite meadery closed, which is sad, but I can mm. say this is by far the best meat I've ever had. Awesome. Thank you, <laughs> guys. Really all these flavors. <laughs> just good. Like, you're getting the full spectrum of mead, but you can also come here and, like, for us only having a 40 weekend, mm-hmm. we didn't get a chance to visit 
as many, like, I really enjoy agritourism, and we mm-hmm. didn't get to do as much agritourism mm-hmm. here, as, and I'd read about some options, like, like fruit uh, plantations and things you could go do, but we just didn't have the time, mm-hmm. but I've now gotten this full spectrum of agriculture on the island just by drinking your mead. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so Thank <cool>. you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other listeners of the podcast are people who probably are doing the same thing you started off doing, which is brewing mead in your garage and thinking about how they want to take this professional. Would you Do you have any advice to an up-and-coming mead producer that maybe wants to hop on? Would you tell them what they shouldn't do or maybe something they certainly should do, something you wish you had done? Um, I think that one of the most important things is to take notes and make sure your, your uh, product is consistent because it's a big jump from five gallons to 200 gallons or 300 gallons. So you really want to be able to work with ingredients that you could get consistently, consistently and, and a, and a good price. Another one is you got to pay your taxes because you're dealing with the federal government. And in order to get a license to produce alcohol, you got to have, you got to look good on paper. And that's just a fact. So (laughs) Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> <laughs> what was the most like egregious learning experience you had for all this? Like the biggest learn by failure kind of thing? I mean, for me, it was the marketing. I mean, we still like, you know, mead. What's interesting about mead is that, you know, it was when we opened it 10 years ago, we were, we were at the 65th meadery to open in the U.S. Now it's estimated that a new meadery opens every three days. Wow. So there's well over 300. It's been an exponential market. Um, but again, the marketing is challenging because where does it fit? Right now we do know that it fits in the craft beverage world, but where does it fit on the store shelves? How are um, retailers supporting it? How are uh, food and beverage outlets supporting it? Uh, mead um, as a craft is the most expensive and exclusive beverage to make. So it hits, you know, about three to five, t- five times more in terms of cost of ingredients than beer or wine. So when you're putting that on the menu, how does that translate? Mm-hmm. Um, so those those are some of the hurdles that I've come across. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, again, like as I look into expanding and moving into this next stage of, of growth, um, I've learned a lot in 10 years and I will do things a little differently. So, okay. Yeah. Do you have any formative meads? Were there any meads you drank that you like that you remember back when you're making mead? You think, man, I really wish that I could emulate this one, or I've exceeded this this mead that I had once mm-hmm. a while ago. Were there any other meaderies that you maybe really like or aspire to? Meaderies or meads? Both. Either, um, either you or. know, it's really hard. We, I, I. I tr- I've tried a lot of different meads from different meaderies and they're always really fun um, to try and, and to taste and to experience. But really, I always kind of end up going back to my product. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and again, it's maybe it's because I know what's what what's in it and what's not in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I again, I, I like that the profiling. Um, there are meads that I've made in the past that I think would be fun commercially. But again, it's the it's the availability of ingredients and being realistic with that. Mm-hmm. So one, you know, say example, a lychee, mm-hmm. you know, lychee is a beautiful fruit to work with. The amount of time it takes to peel that fruit, the amount of amount per pound that uh, the growers want to sell, those bottles would be like 70, 80 bucks a bottle. Yeah. That's a, that's a real big, a big, a big leap from beer. Right. My, my favorite part of your story was that you started from the idea of making like a wholesome local product and settled on mead mm-hmm. rather than a lot of brewers. They'll drink a beer that they really liked, you know, the 
sorry, beer brewers. Mm-hmm. I imagine mead makers are also brewers. Or... It could be, yeah. yeah. It's hard to say because brewing entails heat. So, you oh, know. Mead maker. Yeah, mead <laughs> maker, mazer. Some people call us mazers. Um, yeah, I mean, mm. whatever you want to call me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of brewers will start with a beer and mm-hmm. think they really love Sierra Nevada and that's what got them in. And then mm-hmm. I'll start homebrewing because they want to make that beer. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but you sort of started from the opposite end. You said, you know what, I just want to make something great. I'm not quite sure what it is yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, mead sounds perfect. Yeah. I'll make mead. And then all the next thing you knew, you had grown into the supply chain and grown into the business. And, and then all, you had created this basically from the same, the same way bees make honey, just kind mm-hmm. of going around and plucking stuff, plucking pollen and nectar from the ether. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, you have a thriving mead business. And I right. love it. I love that. I love that that story. I love that the way that went. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. it has been organic. It's definitely been organic. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Thank you so much. We thank awesome. you so much for spending so much time with us, all right. sharing all your mead. And uh, I say we got to stick around for another glass. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Good. And you know, for anybody who's uh, interested in ordering um, or interested in the mead club, just email us through the website and we can send information. So that's always the best way to do it. Great. Thank you. And we have Instagram and Facebook as well. Washington Beer Talk is possible because of Patreon.com. We post one episode every other week. But if you like the podcast, you can have access to an episode every week, exclusive only to Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone to gain access to more episodes, Cycling Cicerone swag, and all kinds of other neat perks. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sitting down and hanging out with me and Amicerone. Nani Moon Meadery. It is a must taste if you're ever in Kauai. I'm the Cycling Certified Cicerone, and this has been Washington Beer Talk. Hey, are you a brewery that wants to be on a podcast? Shoot me an email, andrew at cyclingcicerone.com.